Episode 252, uh, Shantae, Man, Me, 916-572-9016, uh, patreon.com backslash single simulcast. Uh, if you join the Patreon, you'll get exclusive uh, uh, extra 30 to 45 minute show for each show that we put out. Um, uh, there's other shows that are available on the website as well as... Uh, video clips of us, uh, video, uh, just video blogs, I guess, of us that you can check out. Uh, there's conversations in the community chat that you can check out. It's 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 a pretty happening hit place, um, and we appreciate it. Because where else would you be able to go and discuss stories like this? Uh, A 38-year-old woman uh, was accused of setting her boyfriend on fire. Uh, She doused her boyfriend with gasoline and lit him on fire. Like, so when you say she's accused, I'm just like, okay. She doused him with gasoline and lit him on fire, causing burns to 25 25 to 35% of the man's lower body. And then when she wanted to put out the flames, she poured urine on him. Oh, wow. It happened in Pennsylvania in the wee hours of Monday morning after the man fell asleep in the basement of the couple's home. After the man dozed off following an argument between the two, uh, his girlfriend, who's identified as Leanne Sepulyak, allegedly poured gas on him lit a cigarette and set him on fire after an untold amount of time she then attempted to douse the flames with a bucket of urine that the couple used as a toilet in the basement of their home oh wow uh Penn Hills police chief Howard Burton told the news quote I can't see how that was an accident as she was claiming when it happens at 4.40 in the morning and the gas was 25 to 30 feet away from the bed. It had to be carried over. The boyfriend is hospitalized with burns but expected to recover. She was pissed off. Bull. Hella. Like, she's... Like, you know that, that saying, like, I wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire? Like, I mean, like, she actually kind of did. And then she kind of did. I mean, she covered all the bases. She was like, what would happen in this experiment? Bill Nye's not here. Let me go ahead and work this out on my own. But who has a bucket of urine just sitting in their basement? I mean, obviously these people do because their bathroom doesn't work. I just don't understand why. Like, uh, like I'm trying to like, (laughs) like if she had enough urine that she thought it was enough to douse his flames or whatever. It's like, I think you're letting the bucket get too full. Mm-hmm. Like, I would think like you would like, maybe you, you put it out every day, every couple days, you know, depending on how much you drink and, and how much you deposit. But 
like for yeah i couldn't imagine the bucket of urine be even being an option unless it was quite a bit in the in the bucket but yeah that's that's unfortunate because then it's like well was was there water off you know what i mean like is that why they had had the the bucket because the like nothing worked you know the whole plumbing was just shot or what because it still seems like well how are you washing your hands how are you cleaning things if you you know (laughs) if if unless maybe that was the only bucket in the house maybe maybe that was the only you know like that was the only large something that had you know ready liquid in it you know she's pressed for time so she can't so she, so she can't wait for it to fill up you know from the faucet so there's that urine downstairs let me go grab it he was I like guess. he was like you're in trouble now and uh then she decided that she was gonna put him out um gotta break up gotta break up don't set your dude on fire just break up what you do break up what you do because now you can't get a new dude because now you're gonna be the chick that you know set set her dude on fire you can't get a new dude with that you gotta guard your reputation 48 laws of power don't do that well i'm saying like she could always end up like the folks from uh you know it, it was a thing that i used to do uh meet an inmate yeah but you can't i mean writing letters isn't the same as like an actual you know being outside or in the basement (laughs) (laughs) like yeah just break up what you do don't set your dude on fire don't shoot your dude just well one don't let you do don't let the dude in the house like if you if you follow me on twitter it's still don't let him in your house 2017 so follow that keep your own house that way it don't matter don't let him in don't let him in your house I thought that was for vampires. Nah, that's for dudes. That's 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 for the ladies to who like dudes to remember to not let him in your house. Because like check like check it. Uh you know, Scary Spice. I think Scary Spice uh got with a dude and now, you know, she and dude broke up. Now she gotta pay whatever she gotta pay in spousal support. That's unfortunate. That, that is unfortunate. That's why you don't don't let that dude in your house. Don't take care of that dude. You let him stay at his place. Or you stay at your place. No. Mom's gets the good cupcakes. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking that the whole fight started because uh, they were fighting over whose turn it was to put out the pee bucket. <laughs> I hate laughing at this. <laughs> What if it was though? What if it was like some? Because most arguments usually are about some like really, really, really insignificant thing mm-hmm. that one or both people need to just stand down on and just kind of be like, okay, you got it, and kind of just you know acknowledge what that person said to you, take you know take it into account, realize that maybe they do have a little bit of a point, and then kind of move on. And instead, you know, you got two people holding fast you know, to their point of view and and then somebody gets lit on fire. That's that's the end zone. Somebody gets lit on fire. 
I would have thought that you would have known early on in the relationship that somebody in that relationship has the ability to think that far outside the box. Because when my wife and I argue, I've thought about going for a walk. I've thought about going to get some ice cream. I've thought about uh, playing my video games and ignoring her. Setting her bottom half on fire never came up. In the list of things in my head, that was not an option. And I think that you would have noticed that that was an option for somebody early in your relationship. Like, I think that that's something you try and catch once the newness is gone and everything. Bed, yeah. There's no more toilet paper in the bathroom. And, nigga, I'm gonna <laughs> set you on fire. Wait. <laughs> What'd you say? It just came out. It just. <laughs> it was a slip. It was a slip of the tongue. Can you go give me some toilet paper? No, I'm good. <laughs> Babe, what? What you doing right now? Playing this video game? Which one do you love more, the video game or me? Babe, yeah? Why don't you answer? Because I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I should set your ass on fire. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. My emotions get the best of me. You just got to walk with me as I walk with Jesus. <laughs> Babe, what? What you want to eat for dinner? It doesn't matter. You know it really does matter, right? No, it doesn't. When you say it doesn't matter and I order something, it's never what you want. Really, babe, whatever you want, I'll eat it. That's fine. It doesn't really matter to me. Huh. All right, what about pizza? I don't want pizza. Mexican food? I don't like Mexicans. What about fish? Oh, man. I don't want any fish either. I'm going to set your ass on fire. What'd you say? I said, what about Burger King? They got flame grilled whoppers. Is that good for you? Flames? Babe, what? It's your turn. Huh? It's your turn. My turn for what? Did you forget we were playing this game? I don't really like this game. What do you mean you don't like this game? You like this game we were dating, but now that we're married, you don't play this game anymore. You acted like you like this game, so then we get married. I never said that. I just said I don't like this game. Doesn't mean I didn't like the game we were dating. I just don't like the game now. I'm going to set your ass on fire. These are all... (laughs) I feel like you could have noticed these things. Like, this isn't the first time she's threatened to set him on fire. Why didn't you take the trash out? I'm going to set your ass on fire. Why didn't you get the mail out the mailbox? I'm going to set your ass on fire. Why didn't you get me a cupcake? <laughs> I'm going to set your ass on fire. Oh, man. Oh, it was man. your turn to buy the Halloween candy. Now kids are knocking on the door. I'm going to set your ass on fire. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Like, okay, something that I'm noticing, and we are victim blaming we the really dude that got set on fire like we 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 try to hold we, you know we try to stay you know 
neutral sympathetic neutral sympathetic to to people and and whatever but then there are times where we victim blame the dude and I'm victim blaming the shit out of him <laughs> we victim blame the dude cuz we victim because we victim blame somebody with Jay Jay was on the show and we were sitting around victim blaming the dude and then when Jeremy's uh Falcons gave up that huge lead in the Super Bowl yeah. That really has nothing on it. I just really wanted to remind Jeremy, who's listening to the show, that his team really gave up a 25-point lead, and then I trolled the shit out of him. So I was victim-blaming him for that. I humbly apologize, but Shantae's absolutely right. I just victim-blamed the hell out of this dude for not recognizing that his girlfriend had a canister of gasoline sitting next to her side of the bed. Yeah, that's scary. I want if, however, if all of this makes me wonder, like, if their house was like, uh, I don't know, like they're they're DIYing things because things don't work like they're supposed to or whatever. But but at the same time, though, like this is a recent story, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, why would you like like let's say if it was winter. Maybe they have gas to heat their house because of whatever they got rigged or, you know, something. But then, like, now, if it's a recent story, it's relatively warm everywhere. So why would you need the gas in the house? That seems like that's so dangerous. But I guess I guess you got to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Bad. What? Turn on the air conditioner. Nah, I'm trying to save money. Babe, it's hot. Just take the blanket off you. Set your ass on fire. (laughs) What? How do we get here? What? Why? I heard you that time. I was looking right at you. You didn't even whisper. Babe. What? I love you. I love you too, babe. My heart's on fire for you. Sid, I'm getting the fuck out. I'm I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving. Babe, what? Why you renege? What you mean I renege? Set your ass on fire. <laughs> <laughs> All roads. And speaking of stuff being too hot, this song comes from Coolio. Um, I can't believe that guy really made a song about too hot and it was all about STDs. Mm. I remember that video where people kept disappearing, like the folks on the crossroads, but they were disappearing from getting gonorrhea. Um, and it was all coming from one girl because, you know, rappers. <sighs> a Florida woman is facing charges after police said she left her child in a hot car. But then... When she was put in the back of a police cruiser for putting her child in a hot car, she told the police that their car was too hot. Cool. What a ninny. Police were called to a Dollar General store last week for a report of a child left in the vehicle. They say they found a five-year-old sitting in a locked Hyundai alone with the front driver's side window down and the both passenger side windows rolled up. The rear driver's side window was slightly open, the report said. The car was parked in direct sunlight without any shade, police said. 
Police said the boy appeared upset and was sweating profusely. And police dash cam video captured the interaction between mother, Colleen Walker, officers and firefighters. He wasn't in the car for two hours. It was like 12 minutes, Walker told police as she walked out of the store, adding that her son had wanted to stay in the car while she shot. Don't get all huffy and puffy because I'm not going to feel bad for you. I don't care, the firefighter said. The witness who called 911 said the child was left for about 20 minutes and that the child was crying and screaming. The manager of the store told police Walker had been walking around the store for nearly 30 minutes. Surveillance video showed Walker in the store for about 30 minutes with her three-year-old daughter. A firefighter told Walker her son was lucky to be alive. We get cases and cases where 10 to 15 minutes a kid is dead, the firefighter said. The South Daytona Fire Department checked the temperature of the vehicle and it was 107 degrees. Mm. The child's vitals were checked and he was okay. Police said when she was being driven to jail, Walker told officers to put on the air conditioning because it was too hot. Quote, she was complaining that the backseat of our patrol car was too hot on the way to jail and asked the officer to turn the AC up. She's facing child neglect charges and was jailed on a $5,000 bail. That is just so... I mean, that's fortunate for the baby Mm -hmm. to still be here. You know, especially if she, you know, with her leaving the baby in the car with one window down and the rest of the windows up on a hot ass day. And yet I don't understand why she just didn't take the five year old in. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. Like even like, like the idea of her saying, well, he wanted to stay in the car. It's like, well, of course, lots of kids want to stay in the car. You know, they don't want to walk around Dollar General with you. I hated walking around the grocery store with my dad and stuff because, you know, it just it sucked. You know, it's not fun walking around the grocery store after a while, especially after you get what you wanted. Now you're ready to go. But I don't understand why she just left left the little dude in the car like it was like that was fine. Like it doesn't, But took the other one in it. I don't understand giving a five-year-old options when it comes to things like that. Yeah, I could just I was just like, I don't want to go in. Okay, get out. <laughs> get in the get in the cart. Get in the cart. I'll wheel you around, but you getting out this car? I don't want to go in. Who are you talking to? That was the <laughs> second question my mom would say. Well, that was the second sentence. The first sentence was, uh, "Get out." Second sentence was, who you think you're talking to? Third sentence was, once I was out the car and was dragging my feet and shuffling with my head down. Third sentence was, don't ask for nothing. Don't look at nothing. You can't have nothing. Don't point at a toy. You can't have it. I don't want to be in here anyway. Who you talking to? I mean, it's just, that was just the wrong, that was the wrong decision. And like I get, and I get a parent not wanting to deal with an unruly child in a store, in public, because then you start feeling bad about yourself. You start feeling bad about yourself. How come I'm not able to, you know, discipline this child in a way to keep them from doing it? And then you got people looking at you crazy, thinking that you're inept and and all this different kind of stuff. 
totally get it. That should not trump you putting the kid in the cart and just going to get whatever you got to get and getting out. Because, I mean, if she's hanging out there for like 30 minutes, now she's hanging out. You know, like it's not like she bolted in there, ran in there, got like, you know, whatever little things that she's got to go get and then tried to get out. You know, she, you know, taking, you know, she's leisurely in, what is it, Dollar General? Dollar, Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, she's just, you know, like the like the baby ain't in the car. And my question is, the hell is in Dollar General that takes 30 minutes? I ain't never been to a Dollar General, but I'm figuring they're just like Dollar Tree, which I'm figuring just like the 99 cent store. Ain't I mean, it could be, she could have been like doing like light grocery shopping stuff, getting some cereal, getting, you know, some of them have like freezers and, and stuff like that. So she could have been getting some stuff. It's just that if you have a kid in the car, you're on a time limit. Yeah, you can't just. I mean, for one, I don't. If it's like that, why you leave the kid in the car? Like, it's just there's no reason to leave the kid in the car without the car being on. Like, if you can't leave the kid in the car with the car being on, then that kid is too little to be in the car. Mm-hmm. Which is why you bring the kid in. You know, you bring the kid with you because I've sat in. You know, you 11, 12 years old. Sometimes you can sit, you can sit in the car. Nobody's, you know, because you can lock the door and nobody's going to, you know, even if somebody did try to roll up on you, the door's locked. Mm-hmm. But you're also old enough to unlock the door when, when the parent comes. High. Yeah, that too. I mean, that, I just, if you have two kids that are with you, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, at what point? She wanted something to happen to that kid. Maybe, and that—that's—that is an unfortunate possibility. Like something, some, you know, she she didn't care enough at to make the right decision, and mm-hmm. that is an that is an unfortunate possibility. Mm-hmm. That is a real unfortunate possibility. Because she could have left the window. I mean, because she could have left more windows down. She could have made it look like she wasn't trying to let this kid just basically hotbox himself to death. But, yeah. He's, he's lucky to be alive. Exactly. Thank thank goodness. Where was the daddy at? John Crawford III. I can say that because it's a, it's a white person. Um, <laughs> John Crawford III uh, was murdered in an Ohio Walmart last year um, at the hand of Beaver Creek police officer Sean Williams. On July 11th, federal investigators covering the case announced that they would not seek federal charges against the assailant officers. The Beaver Creek policeman arrived on the scene following a falsely reported 911 dispatch call alerting the police of a man loading a rifle and pointing it at children in a discount store. In fact, Crawford had unboxed the pellet gun in the toy section. The store's footage shows no evidence of the young civilian pointing the toy at anyone. Rather, he perused the aisles with the fake gun in hand. The officer shot him within minutes of their arrival. 
Investigators on Crawford's case claimed that the events that transpired on August 5, 2014 revealed that the evidence is insufficient to prove without a reasonable doubt that Officer Williams violated civil rights laws. Following the decision of the Justice Department, Beaver Creek's law director, Stephen McHugh, issued the following statement. The events of August 5, 2014 were tragic, and Beaver Creek Police Department wishes the outcome of that evening had been different. The Beaver Creek Police Department has maintained the officers committed no criminal violations and followed the accepted law enforcement protocol in their response to the report of an active threat in the Walmart store. The Beaver Creek Police Department has fully cooperated with all investigations of this event and will continue to maintain the highest organizational values and constantly seek to uphold the trust of all citizens. While the family of John Crawford III is rightfully disappointed with the DLJ's final consensus, an attorney, Michael Wright, representing the kin of the late Crawford, admits that they will continue to pursue justice through the civil case. The date of the trial for the civil case is pinned for February 2018. I'm not even surprised anymore when folks don't get charged for killing black people. I'm not either. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm getting to the point where I'm not surprised about uh, anything white people do when it comes to being, you know, when it comes to perpetuating racism, being racist, prejudiced, bigoted, whatever. It's just, I'm I'm not surprised. I'm tired of being surprised. I feel like being surprised and wondering why, why are you this way? Why, how could they do this? What makes them do this? Like, I don't care. That's how y'all are. And, you know, until, you know, you show me that you're not like that basically everybody's a suspect you know you you know everybody it's it, everybody's you know it's suspicion and maybe that's not you know right or whatever but it's just nah it's it's too much it's where we are now you know cuz even if even if you're not the person who will pull the trigger on somebody you're the person that'll make the call you're the person that will call and see somebody who you think is suspicious and lead to the death of somebody else so nah everybody everybody's a suspect you know unless you've shown yourself uh not to be You know, hopefully, hopefully uh, the Crawfords can get some sort of justice. But even if they get the money, you know, even if the judge finds that the the, the officers and whoever was, uh, I guess, culpable for his death, it just it sucks how willing, uh, you know, these police departments and and state governments or whatever are willing to basically pay money out rather than uh, rather than prosecute uh, a, a police officer 
mm-hmm. for something criminal because it's like okay it's enough to pay the money but it's not enough to to make some of these people go to jail so it's like well why are you even giving these people the money if these people didn't do if these dudes over here if these police officers if there wasn't any wrongdoing why are you paying money out but not prosecuting you know old boy old girl whatever doesn't make any sense you know or maybe it does make sense because you know basically you know police officers are dangerous white people are dangerous and that's really what it comes down to it I'm just letting that marinate for a second because everything you said was everything that needed to be said. See? <laughs> Black students in Jacksonville, Florida have been slandered by this racist elementary school teacher who believes some very wicked lies. Florida has its share of Florida has more than its share of races with white supremacists preparing for a race war a state senator calling co-workers niggers, other major problems with racism in politics, as well as a plethora of other examples. An unnamed punishment could be coming for a Florida teacher accused of calling elementary school students rats that could infest the class and saying, quote, that's why their race is either dead or in jail. End quote. The teacher at Carter G. Woodson Elementary School Jordan Cataldo made the remarks in May as a group of children attempted to re-enter her classroom and officials found enough evidence to substantiate further action the school district said Duval County Police or Public Schools said it'll take appropriate action in accordance with the collective bargaining agreement when school resumes for the 2017-2018 school year The school district said there was enough evidence reviewed by the district that substantiates further action. However, we cannot elaborate on an action that has yet to be defined. Carter G. Woodson parent Tierra Ross outlined Cataldo's uh, alleged comments back in May. Quote, they're only going to amount to be a bunch of ratchet Walmart workers and also saying that's why their race is either dead or in jail, Ross said. It's so messed up. One, it sounds like, well, at least based on the name of the school, uh, because Carter G. Woodson, yeah, Carter G. Woodson, he is the the creator of of Black History Week, and he wrote The Miseducation of the Negro. You know, that that was, you know, he was a black man, you know, talking about black things. So I would assume that, I would assume that this is probably you know, a black school and here's this white teacher in this black school disparaging these kids and it just it sucks because I know that there's there's other kids in other schools who are being taught by people who just who hate them, who dislike them, who think they're not gonna amount to anything. And it just it sucks. You know, it makes me sad. It makes me it makes me wonder who uh, which teacher in, in my child's school is like that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially oh my god, especially living here in Oklahoma after 
you know, Trump getting elected, you know, this is a red state. It, I think every county, maybe every, either every district or every county, but one or two went, uh, went to Trump, you know, so it's a high probability that there's teachers in those, you know, in these schools, you know, in this district that I'm in, that they voted for him, you know, so they vote for this dude who's basically shitting on everybody, but then teaching, you know, black and brown kids. Just doesn't, nah, just, it sucks. I hope this, I hope this lady gets fired or, you know, they do what they're supposed to do and fire this lady. But even then, it's probably not going to make any difference because there's probably other people who think just like her. That's the that's the scary part. Who knows how many people in that school feel like she does? Exactly. I'm just glad I live in California, where nobody's racist. They're all just passive aggressive, <laughs> um, and racist. Yeah. And tell it? uh, do things like uh, do things like not spend as much time teaching one kid because they're not going to get it and uh, making certain kids stand in the corner with dunce hats on. Yeah, they still do that in certain parts of California. And Wow. There was a young man in uh, Kid Awesome's class in second grade who uh, was standing in the corner one day when I came into the class saying to himself, I'm bad and I'm going to go to jail. Oh. It was uh, maybe about 9 o'clock in the morning the next time I came into the classroom and he was already standing in the corner. There were like four or five kids that the teacher would immediately put into the corner. Like as soon as school started. If they did anything because she was saying she couldn't control them. They were all black. She couldn't control them. So they all got put in the corner or sent to the office. And uh, it was a that was a bad year because she was a bad teacher who didn't know how to deal with kids. And I'm going to say this: I say it every so often on the show, you know, every so often. If you don't, if you're not able to deal with kids, don't become a teacher. And if you have problems with the thought of dealing with a certain type of kid, don't become a teacher. Just, just don't. Leave it to the folks who actually want to. Uh, bring everybody to the finish line together. That's it. So, Fat Man, go ahead and spin the beats. This single simulcast.
it's time for you all to realize this is all just a book of lies. Rachel Dole is all lies about everything. <laughs> I don't think you know that she is the queen of the lies of the book of lies. This is a true book of lies. Rachel Dolezal doesn't want you to realize this is about 500 pages of straight lies. Oh, my God. I mean, it is 30 chapters, though. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So on the last chapter, she decided that she was going to stalk two black men who lived in Mississippi because she fell in love with their books. Right. She also uh, imagined how life would be if she was allowed to go to the Million Man March. Chapter 12, Bellhaven College. Diapers have been hanging from our clothesline in Montana for more than two years, but by the time I left for college in Mississippi in 1996, all of my younger siblings were potty trained, as well as walking, talking, and using utensils to feed themselves. I'd even taught Ruth Ann how to braid Esther's hair, and just as importantly, helped her see the braids are beautiful at the very least because of their practicality packing up and leaving the only home I'd ever known was difficult but not for the reasons you might think after I'd helped raise four children from infancy moving to Mississippi felt more like a midlife transition than a coming of age one and I knew that I was far too young to be feeling that way before leaving Montana I called Spencer Perkins He had been the first black student ever to attend Bellhaven, but it wasn't his thoughts about campus life that drew me to him. After reading More Than Equals, I felt such a powerful connection with him and his philosophy on racial reconciliation, I asked him if he'd mentor me while I was living in Jackson. Why don't you come to the church when you get here, he said, and afterwards we'll go to the house and talk and go from there. After services at the Voice of Calvary Fellowship, the church Spencer's father, John, founded in 1972, I went with Spencer, his wife, Nancy, and their three kids to the large lot on Robinson Road where Antioch was located. The three spacious antebellum homes on the property had been divvied up to accommodate several different families, but I spent most of my time with the Perkins. We hit it off so well that I was soon living something of a double life. During the week, I shared a dorm room on campus with a petite ballet dancer who had blonde hair and blue eyes, and I spent an inordinate amount of time in the library. On the weekends, I went to church in all-black West Jackson and hung out with Spencer and his family. Double life. The first time I visited Antioch, Spencer and I talked at length about one of his favorite activities, in addition to barbecuing and shooting hoops, of course. When I asked him where I could find a shovel and set about digging worms for him, I couldn't have made him any happier if I had handed him one million (laughs) dollars. Whenever I think about fishing, I'm always reminded of a passage from one of Grandpa Perkins' speeches in which he gave the old proverb, if you give a man a fish, a decidedly new twist. If you teach a man to fish, he said, he may never eat because all that really matters is who owns the pond. 
As someone who lived through the Jim Crow era, he'd seen plenty of capable black people denied jobs and opportunities, even though they'd been taught how to fish. After my first visit, eating lunch at Antioch after church on Sunday became a weekly ritual. One afternoon, while chatting with Spencer in the family room of his house, he asked me what sort of artwork I did. Unfortunately, I didn't have any pictures with me to show him. I bet your art didn't look like that, he said, pointing to a large frame print on the wall. It was a beautiful but tragic painting of a black mother with a baby strapped to her back, picking cotton in a field. Actually, that's exactly <laughs> the kind of art I do, I told him. Oh my him. god. When he finally saw some of my pieces, his initial skepticism, skepticism turned into unmitigated support. Spencer was always smiling and laughing. I, do I... Am I Am I the only one who finds that? Like, who's always showing his teeth around? Oh, never mind. But he <laughs> grew very seriously when talking about my artwork. You need to focus on your art, he often told me. It's a gift. She's good at everything. I just want to point that out again. And just, you know, keep it pushing. Yep. My comfort level was... It, wasn't she also good at basketball, but then she stopped doing it after like a week? And <laughs> softball... Like oh yeah, she was like she's. I think yeah, she did say that she made it seem like she was kind of a, a all around athlete. Yeah, because she. I thought she did basketball, softball, and volleyball. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just naturally like, talented at everything. Like she's the shit. Yeah, she would have been very popular if she had just stayed with her own folks. My comfort level wasn't nearly as high on campus, at least initially. I arrived there looking like I had just stepped off the set of Little House on the Prairie or escaped from a religious cult. Wearing a homemade ankle-length dress and no makeup, I walked into the cafeteria on the first day of classes and was greeted by a picture as strange to my eyes as the sight of me must have been to everyone else. The cafeteria was completely segregated, with all of the tables occupied by white students except for one on the far side of the room. At the start of my freshman year, only 5% of Bell Haven's student body was black, and most of them could be found hanging out at the black table at some point during the day. As I walked through the cavernous room buzzing with chatter, my heart nearly skipped a beat. Everyone looked so normal compared to me. I could see it on their faces whenever they glanced my way. Who the heck is this? Searching for a reassuring face and not finding one, I bet you find black table. I bet she finds it at the black table. <laughs> I carried my tray through the gauntlet of white faces until I arrived at the black table in the corner. That I sit, that I shouldn't sit there because I was born to white parents and all the table's occupants were black didn't occur to me. A true fish out of water, more than 2,000 miles from where I had been born, I'd gravitated to where I felt most comfortable. And after the initial awkwardness wore off and I'm just putting this in there. And after she didn't just fucking leave. (laughs) That's how the people sitting around her made her feel. Looking back on this moment, I wonder if the students at that table were so nice because they felt sorry for me. I was dressed like a peasant after all, and I obviously had no friends. Regardless of their motivations, they were incredibly kind to me, almost sympathetic. 
when they started talking about the Black Student Association meeting scheduled for that afternoon, and I asked when and where it was, they let me know the location and the time and only shrugged and smiled when I expressed a desire to join them. It was the first BSA meeting of the year, which meant dues needed to be paid and all leadership positions filled. Excited to join my first student organization, I secured my membership with a $5 bill and watched the students were voted into office. We elected a president, vice president, treasurer, and secretary that afternoon, but it quickly became clear that no one wanted to be a historian. There was a long, awkward moment of silence. Finally, I raised my hand and started walking towards the front of the room, just as I'd seen the previous candidates did. And as I did, I was greeted with barely muffled snickering. Even the newly elected president, Winston Trotter, couldn't stop himself from laughing. Hold up, he said. Why are you here, and why do you want to be historian? Being raised with no sense of humor whatsoever... I delivered an overly earnest speech explaining how passionate I was about black culture, how I had always felt a connection with blackness, and how deeply I cared about my siblings' future. My enthusiasm caught everyone in the room a little off guard. But what exactly do you know about black history, someone asked. The rambling dissertation that followed encompassed all the black historical figures I admired most and was so long-winded, Winston had to cut me off. We need to wrap this meeting up, so let's just go ahead and vote. Running unopposed, I won the landslide. <laughs> uh, it would have been better if nobody had voted for her, but, you know, whatever. As the BSA's historian, my main responsibility was documenting all the club's activities. But a fucking That's not a secretary? No. Or or is that like or it, that's probably more along the lines of like okay this year we did this. this. That okay. Not so much like minutes and whatever but okay. Okay. I guess whatever. But I took the role of fucking course much more seriously than that. I want to educate people about why BSAs were so important to have on campus. I also took it upon myself to inspire my fellow members by continually reminding them about pivotal moments in black history. If you're going to cuss, you don't have to mute. I was about to say, if you're over there laughing or cussing, you don't need to mute. I took it upon myself. I was was messing with something, so I was trying to mute it. But, oh my. I I mean, but but there she is. Being the smartest person in the room, the person who knows the most, the person who needs to to guide the black people <laughs> to righteousness. <laughs> she is be- there. She is being peak white person right now. You know what music should be playing in the background every time she does something like this? Every single time she Rachel Dolezal's. That song should just play in the background. There she goes. <laughs> there she goes again. <laughs> oh my gosh. To this end, I revised the historian's duties to include preparing a brief black history lesson for each meeting. My God. 
and giving a historical presentation during Mandatory Chapel every Tuesday of Black History Month. Rewarding my commitment and knowledge, my fellow BSA members re-elected me to the position all four years I was in college. My affiliation with the BSA made it impossible to ignore the many issues confronting Belhaven's black students, and as time passed, I grew more determined to do something about them. I helped create the first African American history course ever taught there, and it remains a part of the curriculum to this day. I worked with the college's president to increase the recruitment and retention of black students, and by the time I graduated, the black population on campus had increased to nearly 15%. And I helped organize a conference to discuss racial reconciliation, the restoration of peace between black and white communities I'd read about in Beyond Charity and More Than Equals that paired Bellhaven, which was historically white, with nearby Tougaloo College, which was historically black. Why do I, me personally, Rashani, why do I get the feeling that if they took pictures of any of these things, there was a large crowd of black folks and she stood in the back? Man, or at least was, if she didn't stand in the back, she was uh, with other black people who wanted the school to be better for the black students that were there. Mm-hmm. Like, she makes it sound like she was, you know, a one woman, you know, black history wrecking crew, you know, going through and changing the landscape of the college by herself. And it's just like, I, that, that, that seems far, that that's far fetched. She literally sounds like one of those white teachers in the movies. (laughs) Right, right. It does. Yes. Those, you know, you you know the the white teachers who show up to the all black school and Raheem is in the back and they're all loud and rowdy and the white teacher shows them how to believe in one another and trust in their talents and you can succeed in more than just having a wicked jump shot and then they all go out and they pass calculus. Yeah. Well. Oh, the calculus though. That made, well. Okay. First, yes, she sounds like the white savior. That's what that's that's what basically what it is. You know, she comes in to the whole, you know, of color landscape and changes it for the better, you know, because she's got all the answers and all the angles and everything. But then you talking about the calculus thing makes me think of uh, Stand and Deliver. Mm-hmm. And they were they were Mexican in that movie. I love that movie. Shout okay. out to Edward James. Almost, I love that movie. <laughs> well, let me try this one. She's like the uh, white teacher who shows up in front of all of the students and tells them that yes, you too can learn to love poetry, and they all become freedom writers. Yeah, yeah. Or I never did see. I never did watch it, but it was uh, what was it? The one with um, Dangerous Minds. Oh, with Gangsta's Paradise. Yeah, Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer. That's another one where it seems like it's like a, a white. It seems like a white savior trope, but with but with a woman. Yep. You know, but with or, a, with a white woman. Or the substitute, where the teacher walks into the class, catches the stick there or a, or a piece of paper that's being thrown at his head, beats up a student, 
and then all the students start to confide in him. Yeah, that was that was with Tom. Was that with, Tom that's with Tom Berenger? Mm-hmm. That's one of my yeah. favorite movies. Actually, one of my be- favorite bad movies because yeah. Opal Lockett, yeah. worst stopper, get that. You know what? You know what? While I was at Bellhaven, I also developed a radar for anything that seemed inequitable to or dismissive of the college's black students and committed myself to changing it. Wow. Wow. For instance, I was just about to settle into a three-day weekend in the middle of January my freshman year when I looked at my biology syllabus and saw that class was scheduled for Monday. Oh, my God. <laughs> what was going on? Surely a college wouldn't schedule class on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, would it? Wasn't it a federal holiday? It had to be a mistake, right? My 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 the back of my hand is on my forehead as I say that. <laughs> I brought all of my questions with me to the office of Dr. Roger Parrott. Bellhaven's president, first thing Monday morning, Dr. Parrott informed me that Bellhaven had never given its students and staff that day off. I was surprised to hear this, but anyone who Mississippi who knew Mississippi better than I would did would not have. Here comes a lesson. <laughs> While the federal government made MLK Day a national holiday in 1983, it wasn't recognized on a state level by all 50 states until 2000. One of the states that initially dragged its feet was Mississippi. When it finally did come on board, it managed to rob the day of much of its power by giving equal billing to the leader of the Confederate Army during the Civil War, making the third Monday in January a holiday with the name as awkward to say as it is to celebrate. Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee's birthdays. Wow, I didn't know that. I'm, I'm yeah. actually, yeah, that's I'm a actually real thing. lightweight disgusted that they had the nerve to you know what i just read a a, a article talking about how millennials are fleeing mississippi in droves and one of the biggest reasons they gave is because they are still racist as fuck down there like step off the curb when a white person walks past you racist like still call you nigger in a casual manner racist it just makes my stomach hurt uh while offices and banks had no choice, schools and businesses were given some latitude when it came to observing the holiday. Fortunately, Dr. Parrott was new to the college, shockingly young and very broad-minded, and he let me know that he was open to the idea of recognizing MLK Day on campus if a consensus among the student body could be obtained. That's all I needed to hear. I wrote a petition and shamelessly pushed it in front of, pushed it in front of everyone I could find, and within a month, I'd acquired enough signatures to make the holiday an official celebration on campus the following year. And not just as a vacation day. In keeping with the King Holiday and Service Act, which President Clinton put in a law on August 23, 1994, I worked with the administration to organize a day of service. During the first year the holiday was observed at Bellhaven, more than 250 mostly white students worked on Habitat for Humanity homes in West Jackson which, in a city that remained nearly as segregated as it was in the 1960s, was known as the black side of town. My growing connection to black culture was also apparent in my artwork, which, like the piece I showed Spencer, focused on black faces and figures and was unashamedly pro-black. 
The images almost exclusively depicted aspects of the black experience I felt were beautiful and empowering. Tired of seeing white people taking center stage all the time, I wanted to use my art skills. I wanted to use my art skills to offer a more equitable and compassionate she needs at the source. More equitable and compassionate treatment of black culture. Two such pieces, one done on elk hide, which was called Armalia, the other on deer hide, which is called Tatters of Time, helped me pay for my first year of college after I won the National Tandy Leather Art Scholarship. Another landed me an exhibition in New York City after Fabian Uzo gave a woman from the United Nations a very compelling description of the piece about the Rwandan genocide I made in high school. She called me to say if I wanted to display it in the lobby to UN headquarters. Oh, that she wanted me to display it in the lobby to UN headquarters. Saying it perfectly captured the type of empathy they wanted to promote about the Rwandan refugee situation. As a financially strapped college student, I couldn't afford to fly there for the reception, but apparently the staff was so moved by the piece that they renewed the usual three-month loan period four times. When the piece was returned to me after a year away, I donated it to Tougaloo College, where it remains today. My predilection for painting black figures didn't sit well with some of the white students in my art classes, who often made fun of me for it. If I wanted to focus on human rights and injustice, a few of them told me, I should paint Irish people. Mm. I got so sick of being pressured in this way that I actually tried painting white people a couple times, but it never looked or felt right to me. I had difficulty seeing highlights and reflections on pale skin. Even when the models Even when the models in my figure drawing class were white, they came out looking black on my sketch pad. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so, like, she couldn't see whiteness? Is that, I mean, like, that, you know, like, you got somebody, you like, you hear people who talk about, like, they don't see color. She only but saw it. it. Like, she only sees, like, even when she looks at at white people she sees black people like this is wow this is a lot I see black people they don't know that they're black like she's that committed to blackness that it's all that she can that she can she can see or like I I don't I don't know I think the best way to sum it up is like this whatever it is I think I see Becomes another black person of me. Black folks have that chocolatey hue. Black folks, I think I'm in love with you. Whatever it is, I think I see. Becomes another black person of me. Wow. If Rachel Dolezal sang it, yes. And by the way, that's not the Tootsie Roll jingle. Tootsie Roll jingle is... The butterfly, not on that's old. Let me see you. (laughs) Come on, baby. Wait, 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 wait. Now you're going into a totally different song. (laughs) No, that's the remix version. Wait, it's the remix with. Dun, 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 dun,
Come on and Tootsie Roll. Come on and Tootsie Roll. Oh my gosh. Wow. I don't remember that at all. Cotton candy sweet as gold. Yeah. Can you dig it? Come on and Tootsie Roll. Come on and Tootsie Roll. Nisha knows what I'm talking about. She ain't going to Tootsie Roll right now, though, but she knows the song I'm talking about. Right? Don't leave me hanging like this. It's, it's scary. I feel like everybody should have known. That was the best version of the song, in my humble opinion. Humbly speaking, of course. Well, I am humbly saying it. Mm-hmm. I wish I remember how to do the Tootsie Roll. I remember how to do the butterfly. I remember how to do the Tootsie Roll. I am sad now. It's just opening close. It's just like the whole thing with the butterfly is... Was it doing the butterfly in reverse? No, no, like the butterfly, you know, is like you're doing your legs. Like it's a, it's a whole fluid movement where the butterfly... I mean, not the butterfly, the Tootsie Roll is like you're kind of opening and closing your legs to do the Tootsie Roll. Like it's like you're in the same position to do the butterfly, but instead of kind of moving your legs in like kind of a, a figure eight motion or whatever, you're just opening and closing your legs to do the Tootsie Roll. I bet Rachel Dolezal knows how to do it. She probably does. She knows how, she knows how to do everything. She she's Rachel Dolezal. Right? <sighs> In the end, I embraced the talents I had and stopped trying to please other people or help them understand me. Some of my professors noted that, unlike most freshmen majoring in art, my body of work already had a clear focus. That didn't do me much good as I looked for a place in North Jackson, read the white part of town, to display my artwork during my second semester at Bellhaven. When none of the art galleries there took an interest in my work, I visited the Smith Robertson Museum and Cultural Center in West Jackson. Originally the site of Jackson's first public school for black children, the novelist Richard Wright graduated from there in 1925. Smith Robertson was enjoying a second life as a museum that celebrated the art and experiences of black Mississippians. Terry Flucker. names I swear to God Terry Flucker the museum's curator gave me a tour of the building when I mentioned that I was looking into a looking for a place to display my artwork and had brought some slides with me he was kind enough to ask the receptionist to set up a projector on the table in his office after we sat down he broke step with the formality he previously displayed I understand you want to show your art here, he said, but we're a black museum and you're white. What could you possibly show me that I would be interested in? His words stung, but I got it. All he could see was the color of my skin. I dropped my slides into the projector carousel. Let me show you. (laughs) Through dance. The first slide showed one of my signature pieces. <clears throat> Africa. Oh, God. And after seeing it, Terry leaned back in his chair and said, Wow. Mother Flocker. 
<laughs> when I got to the end of my 10-slide presentation, he surprised me with his enthusiasm. So, he said, we're going to need at least 15 mid to large size pieces for the show. Two months later, a mixed media exhibit by Rachel Dolezal made its debut at the Smith-Robertson Museum and Cultural Center. At the opening reception, the educator and artist Jolivette Anderson read her poems, Pieces of You, Pieces of Me, which were inspired by Africa. <laughs> and made me cry. I didn't sell any paintings at that show. Nobody wanted to fuck with you. But it was a rewarding experience nevertheless. The audience was roughly half white and half black and everyone was a bit out of their comfort zone. But they were all together under a single roof with a single purpose. And that's one of the first steps on the road to healing race relations. Asians, Asians. <laughs> As I got more involved with the BSA, campus activism, and my artwork, the more Afrocentric my appearance became. Oh, 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 we're there. We've arrived. <laughs> okay. I started wearing my hair in poetic justice box braids and sporting oh. dashikis and African pattern dresses. Oh, wow. See, now, okay, I wonder how they reacted to her. Like, did they just think of her? Like, you ever seen what uh, I'm sure you have? Uh, you know, is it? No, it's not. I'm going to get you, sucker. It's not I'm going to get you, sucker. It's Leonard Part 6, I think. There's a part, I think it's Leonard Part 6. There's a part in Leonard Part 6 where he uh, eats some bean pies, but nope, he gets bean pies from a black man that's who is married to a white woman. That's I'm going to get you, sucker. It is I'm like going to get you, sucker? Okay. Walked into the, ready to take over the building, but they were hiring that day and his kids are white. Okay, then it is. I'm gonna get you, sucker. Okay, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. That's and uh, but the the white lady, she had braids. Mm -hmm. You know, she had she had braids, and she was in a dashiki Mm -hmm. and all that different kind of stuff. So I wonder if that's what they were thinking. You know, just like okay, this is still a white lady, but you know, she's just you know that white lady in that scene was literally Rachel Dolezal. Now that you mention it, because she she wasn't just wearing a dashiki and stuff. She was talking the most stuff, like fight the power and, and all that kind of stuff. Oh, man. That was horrible. Now that Rachel's doing it, at first it was funny, but now that knowing that Rachel Dolezal did it, sad. I thought the patterns and embroidery of these clothes were beautiful. And in the Mississippi heat, the fabric did a good job of keeping you cool without being immodest. Wearing this style of clothing made me feel more confident and more beautiful. As a result, As a result, most people didn't know what to make of me. So, what are you? I was asked all too often. My responses tended to be awkward, torturous, and strained. Because I didn't fit neatly into a box and didn't know how to articulate who I was or how I felt in a way that made sense to people, I'd end up bouncing from one story to the next until I told them nearly everything about my life. I'd usually start off by saying that Larry and Ruth Ann were white before describing how I was instinctively drawn, instinctively drawn to black aesthetics, culture, and history. And then I would mention my siblings and the racial justice work I was currently doing. So, wh- 
what I'm hearing here is that she would start off by saying that, you know, her mom and dad were white, but all of my siblings, other than the white one that was born in my family, forget about him. All of my siblings, other than that white guy, all of them are black, and I grew up steeped in racial justice that I'm studying right now because I don't know much about it. And do you like my dashiki? <laughs> oh man, this is so this this is this is wild because I'm still you know it doesn't sound like she's saying it seems like the the answer when somebody says well what are you white is is you, you just say well I'm a white woman you know however as a white you know I'm a white woman but I'm really into you know social justice i'm into black history you know i'm into black art this is what you know i'm this is what i i enjoy it i love it i want to put more people onto it like all of that to me sounds valid you know it sounds like okay well that's cool you know because white people get they get into shit you know whether you want them to or not and everything but they're still they still acknowledge that they're white it's just that they have an interest and it's just like, okay, cool, that's your interest, whatever. Where this is just not, it doesn't sound like that's where she's going. And obviously, that's not where she went with it. You know, it went someplace else. But it just seems like, I don't understand why she didn't think that she could just be white and do black art. You know, if she was really, if she, you know, if she really is inspired by it since she was a child and, and all this different kind of stuff. Just, yeah, wild stuff. As a result, most people, uh, yeah, just finished reading that. These long, rambling answers satisfy very few people and seem to bore the pants off most. You know how when most people ask how you are, they don't really want to know the answer? They just want you to say fine? That's how these encounters felt. Fucking, fucking, fuck, 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 fuck. People just wanted me to say if I was white or black. Well, yeah. They <laughs> they still want to hear that. Like, like I don't understand. See, this is and this is where it gets odd. It's like maybe I, I guess in a perfect world, you know, people would just look at people as they are, whatever, and not even really question what the hell is, you know. I guess, but it just seems like, you know, I, I mean, for one. Especially if she's wearing uh, poetic justice braids and uh, dashikis and stuff. She, I mean, I wonder what color the braids were. Like if she had dyed her hair, if she made her hair darker or something, you know, just made it look, you know, it's not like just a white woman with blonde braids or whatever, you know, that maybe somebody's wondering if she is biracial or you know some percentage of black because i think that's what's that's one of the things that's messed up about how she looks in certain pictures with certain hairstyles and stuff she does look like at certain points even though maybe it's makeup or bronzer or whatever she does look like she could be somebody's like really really light-skinned auntie Mm -hmm. that's that's what's fucked up it's it's like she she really you know she does at a glance and it's just like you know until and and i could totally see somebody uh 
being duped by it or or thinking like oh yeah she's just she's just really she's just really light my son he's really light you know he's a light kid so it's not far-fetched for her to possibly also be a you know light skinned black person of some of some personage but obviously she's not but it's just it, it's hard to 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 process I guess because it because do, she does kind of I understand why those people are asking her those questions because if you look at her in some of these other pictures and stuff she does look that way she probably looked like somebody's you know light-skinned grandmother or whatever you know as far as complexion and stuff is concerned you know, because we do all, you know, because there's so many shades of blackness within us, you know, that we're not necessarily, you know, that we're not all rejecting the, the super light, uh, you know, brother, sister, cousin, auntie, grandma, whatever, you know, we're not all doing that. We know, we, we know there's, there, every, you know, those, that complexion is everywhere just like we got you know we got dark-skinned people in our family and brown and this and that so i get it i understand why they're questioning her and maybe even thinking that she could be because if anything because if she couldn't be then they wouldn't be asking they would have just been like oh that's white man that's a white girl you know who you wearing braids and dashikis and so they wouldn't even question it if they thought that she was just a white woman they might have they see something in there too it's just crazy. It's just wild. They didn't want to hear in all its boring complexity about the journey to self-identification I was on. I could see it in the way they shifted their way from one foot to another and stopped making eye contact with me while I was talking. They were tired of listening. They were done having this conversation and before long I was too. I stopped volunteering information about my identity to people unless I knew them really well. It became much easier for me to let them make assumptions about me. Right. Right. And it became much easier for the white woman who wore the shikis and all that to let them just assume that she was black. Mm-hmm. If that's the conclusion they wanted to come to, then that's the conclusion they wanted to come to. And she just, she just runs with it. You know, unless she knew them really well, like her her mom and dad. <laughs> I noticed how much re- more relaxed and comfortable black people who assumed I was black were around me. The minute I corrected them, the comfort level we enjoyed just a moment before disappeared. So I stopped doing it and started letting them identify me however they wanted to. If they identified me as a light-skinned black woman or a mixed-race woman, which they frequently did, I didn't mind. My laissez-faire attitude towards my racial identification was much more difficult to maintain when it came to filling out applications and medical forms. Prior to my departure from Montana, I I generally felt obligated to choose white, Caucasian, or European-American when I was asked to check a box identifying my race. If the form allowed me to choose more than one category, I'd also check Native American because of what I've been taught about my great-grandmother's ancestry. When I was living in Mississippi, I felt that I should continue checking white on such forms. 
According to other people's perception of racial categories, that was the truth. Even though I began to feel like that description was increasingly mis- misrepresentative of who I was and how I was being treated by others. I would sometimes check other when that was an available option, as well as clarifying the difference between me and the distinctive breed of white people who lived in the Deep South. <laughs> if providing an answer was optional, I would avoid making a selection altogether. The more I learned about race in college, that it has no genetic underpinnings, but is a social construct, the less obligated I felt to check white. Some of my biracial friends will play around with these forms, alternately checking white, black, or other, just to see how it would affect the way people responded to them. I thought it was a clever idea and a useful sociological experiment, particularly as I grew more ethnically indeterminate in my appearance. The increasingly Afrocentric look I sported invited all sorts of criticism. Some said that my identification with black culture was just a phase, while others, mostly white students, told me I shouldn't dress the way I did because they felt that it was disingenuous or just looked silly. So white folks are telling her she shouldn't dress like a black person because it, it doesn't seem real. Mm-hmm. Black folks are saying it to her. She just leaves that out. Like it was only it was mostly white folks who told her it it was disingenuous and that she knew. Most black folks were just accepting of her dressing like a white person or dressing like a black person and doing her hair in box braids and all that because she moved to Mississippi and suddenly just felt comfortable to be herself. I'm still drawing parallels. I'm still drawing parallels. I'm not gonna stop drawing parallels of how much this sounds like a closeted gay or lesbian child who moves out of their house into a uh, because they live in a strict religious upbringing in a strict religious town and they move to a city like San Francisco or Seattle where folks are much more liberal and open about it and they're able to really just be themselves be who they're supposed to be it sounds like that's what she's saying more and more, that's what it sounds like to me. While walking through the cafeteria one day, proudly wearing a dashiki and a head wrap, I passed a table full of white girls and heard one of them say, who does she think she is wearing all that stupid African shit? She's not black. As I continued to make my way towards the black table, my friend Nikki, who was a member of the BSA and a star of the women's basketball team, wheeled around and confronted the girl. Hmm. Cosign. <laughs> I'm about to check and see if Nikki exists. This is some bullshit right here. You gonna tell me <laughs> that these white girls were talking about you because you were dressed up like somebody that you weren't and never were gonna be and the black girl... You know what? I take that back. Black women stand up for fucking everybody. That's the... Black women, y'all stand up for everybody, even when you know that they are not with you or for you, or that 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 you know they're gonna fuck you over, that they're still in, that it's not gonna end up well. Before she became a full on just out and out, I'm gonna make money off this culture vulture. I guarantee that the first folks who were standing up for her in every situation were likely black women. 
Mm-hmm. Not because of who she or not because of what she was dressing or anything like that. Just because black women are so fucking awesome that y'all just don't like seeing people being mistreated. Period. Of course, I'm just guessing here, spitballing. From what I've seen, though, with my wife riding on everybody, riding for everybody, and no matter what, she sees the good in every person, and no matter what, she's the first person out there on the front lines uh, supporting friends and family when necessary, no matter what they've done, no matter what they said, no matter what's going on. I believe that black women were standing up for Rachel Dolezal, who obviously didn't deserve none of that shit. Yeah, they probably were. They probably they especially especially in that kind of a situation. Definitely, because it make because something. Well, I'll, I'll say I'll say it after this after the we finish this chapter. But it just it makes sense. <sighs> Nikki wheeled around and said, "You're sitting there talking about Rachel's outfit while you're probably getting a yeast infection from wearing those skin tight jeans." She said loud enough for everyone within 20 feet to hear. Besides, wait, wait. Besides, Rachel's a lot blacker than I am, so deal with it. Mm. Damn you. I didn't have it plugged in. Otherwise, y'all motherfuckers would have heard. Yeah, but see, this is what's here's this is what's messed up. You get black people who say that white people that what you know a white person is more black Mm -hmm. than them or somebody else because of whatever you know, whether it's their appearance, whether it's their point of view, whatever that thing is. It they you get black people who say that who co-sign who say that this person is you know oh that's just you know it like beyond the brother from another mother type of thing it's like like no this person is black kind of thing <laughs> like not just oh we haven't that person has an affinity that person cares it's just like no this person is allowed to take on this label is allowed to take on this identity because of what they do and how they are and everything. And how dare you question it? Something's wrong with you for questioning it. Well, watch this. A smile took over my face. This was the (laughs) first time anyone had recognized and defended how I felt. Hearing Nikki say that made me feel good, whole, understood like I had finally found my place in the world chapter 13 is hair part 2 oh part 2 okay so this is it we she has finally been acknowledged as black mm-hmm. this is this is her her shining moment or one of the, you know the first shining moment however okay so her writing kills me because the whole, you know, the very beginning of the book or the of the chapter 
is about her going to Mississippi to go see this guy and, and be mentored by him and the book that he wrote and everything. And it's like, she talks about that for a few pages and now it's back to basically her becoming black mm-hmm. as far as she's concerned. <laughs> and it's like, how did we get, it's like, it's not like the, the, it's not like this revelation or this cosign or whatever of blackness came from this guy. It came from a completely different person in a completely different place. He and was just a catalyst to get her there. Nikki so was that, the key that unlocked the door. Oh, I, okay. I guess like she, it just, it just seems like the, the chapter would be more, more about you know being mentored by this man and everything and but not it's basically about her being in college and you know finding her her faux blackness you know what because <laughs> I'm not gonna call it because I'm not gonna call it blackness it's oh. not because she's not because she's not black not but, even, but Nikki says she's blacker than she is right which is just like which oh which comes back to like you get these people who don't want you to criticize Rachel Dolezal because of all the things that she's done for black people like she's doing way more than I'm doing or she's doing way more than you you know because she's doing you know because she worked for the NAACP and all that different kind of stuff like somehow you know because of her job or what she's doing or her intentions that trumps the deception that she's allowed to happen you know which it then clearly has allowed to happen she's just like you know you know people are asking you know what are you which is a really which honest to god is a very shitty question i'm sure it's a shitty question when uh when you're a biracial person or when you're a person who can't uh who people feel like they can't peg with a label you know it's a shitty question it's just that it's not her place i guess to feel shitty about it because it's just like you're walking around in a dashiki and wearing like you're making these choices it's just like how do it's just why wouldn't they ask you I don't I don't know. I don't know. Okay, but what I wanted to say about this chapter, for some reason, this chapter seems more like the truth than any of these other chapters. I feel like this shit really did happen and it may have happened the way that she's telling it. Oh, it's imperative that this chapter is the truth because all it is is her standing alone. Like this is how she's building her foundation. You know, so I figured that this chapter and maybe the next one going forward, perhaps, will it it it, it definitely had a lot less of the going off on tangents mm-hmm. that the other chapters did. It stuck solely to her experience in that city or whatever it may have been in that college. Right now, personally, I'm looking for Nikki um, on their basketball team just because, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. She seemed a lot more focused in this chapter. And while everything was still the same amount of, I mean, I think I rolled my eyes harder in this chapter than I ever have. 
in, oh, in yeah. the other chapter, she seemed to be more on point. However, her on point is still absolute bullshit to me because the fact that she feels this way doesn't mean that I have to feel this way. If somebody came up to me and said, I feel like my farts smell like <laughs> lavender, I'm going to roll my eyes. Even while they try and scoop it into their face and smell it over and over again. I don't care what you believe your truth is. I'm not here for it. And I'm not here for her story. You know, this is all just really, really, you know, the other chapters where you were, uh, where she was talking about hair and all that kind of stuff. They were, were they triggering to you? Was any of it like, like, I, I know that it made you really, really frustrated, really angry. Mm-hmm. But this chapter, for some reason, this chapter about a white woman strolling into Mississippi and having everything fall her way. Mm-hmm. That just hurts. That just, like, Everything fell her way. Like, even stuff that shouldn't have fallen her way, like being able to just, looking like a peasant, walk over to the black table and just sit there as the kids shed their awkwardness. I and, and like you said, I don't think she's lying at all. I mean, she might be exaggerating, mm-hmm. but beyond the bit of hyperbole, I think this whole chapter, and that's what's so infuriating to me, that everywhere she turned, black folks just opened their doors to her. You know, but that's but see, and that's the thing. But that's how we are. At least some, you know, obviously everybody's not like that. But I think, you know, a lot of us are like that. You know, where we're just welcoming, mm-hmm. and maybe some of that has to do with the fact that we know that there's so many people who aren't you know, just off GP, they're just not going to be. So we don't want to project that out to other people. So if somebody is cool enough to come and hang out, then they've already kind of, uh, got over the hurdle that we know other people are refusing to even walk toward you know, so, you know, for her to come over to that table, she could have went anywhere, but she came to them. And so it, I, I, I bet that probably did happen. And they came and she wanted to sit and they were just like, they might've like looked at each other and was just like, why does white girl sitting by us? You know, but didn't, you know, but probably didn't shun her, probably weren't necessarily super mean to her. And as she kept coming and hanging out and they're seeing that she, she cares about black things that she's not being um, outwardly, you know, she's not being racist. Like I'm sure some of those other kids were, I'm sure it was, I'm sure they all, you know, I'm sure if the, if the school is, you know, has a small percentage of black people and it's mostly white and it's in Mississippi, I'm sure they had all come in contact with somebody who was clearly racist. You know, so here's this white woman coming over, hanging out. She's not racist. She's she's coming to the, you know, she's coming to the BSA. She seems committed to uh, the the club and trying to to teach them things. Because that's another thing too. You get black people who, excuse me, may feel like they don't know as much as they should. So then there's guilt. 
and then you get a white woman who's ready to tell you know who does know a whole bunch of stuff so now it's like well this white woman knows all this stuff of course i should know it too and whatever so now you know so that's just you know all of this is just making her look better i guess to them to herself you know she just doesn't look like a typical white person a typical racist white person basically yeah unfortunately those are the ones that are usually the most problematic right and she's clear and 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 that's another thing too she's clearly you know what she sounds like to me and we and i feel like we've touched on this before is that she's the you know she's not the 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 you know the 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 racist white person who is going to probably flat out and 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 call you a nigger to your face kind of thing like real abrasive or whatever and fly the confederate flag and everything you know she's the white person who is cool with you until you do something or you second guess her or whatever and then she has to assert herself to let you know that she knows more than you that she can do more than you whatever that thing is she she asserts herself as the dominant person you know you're no longer on equal footing as far as she's concerned the moment you step out of place mm-hmm. and that's the kind of that's what she sounds like you know because she keeps putting herself in these you know like you like you said her stuff keeps falling into place she keeps talking about herself in this way like she's perfect like she's not struggling with any of these thoughts as far as with how she was raised versus the person that she's trying to be it just you know she goes up you know it's like with the 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 scene that she paints with going to the 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 museum and the here's the black man basically saying that she doesn't you know what you don't you know what you know about black art you know and then she drops her slides you know like showing him that she knows it's that kind of stuff you know basically showing that she you know she's being doubted but here look at me I know my stuff you can't stop me I'm plucky and I'm from I I love black culture and I, I just believe in myself you know she yeah it's like she's an underdog and yet she doesn't necessarily always talk about herself as an underdog she's Rudy that's what she is she's 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 shows up at a school that she shouldn't be at and just believes that she should be a part of whatever she wants to be a part of and if she works hard enough she's going to be able to do whatever she wants and she just it just keeps on happening side note I've gone over this uh, roster, which is clearly stated on here. Bellhaven University women's basketball all-time roster. I've gone over it nine times now. Nikki ain't on it. This is single simulcast. Shante. Oh, yeah, right. Shante, you got any uh, shout-outs? Shout-out to everybody listening shout out to anybody who decides to listen for uh two pods a day 
shout out to whoever you know everybody who's sharing the show everybody who's uh blessing us with some some patreon monies you're appreciated uh listeners are appreciated sharers are appreciated you know shout us out use ss cast on the uh on the twitter you know, so let us know that you, you know, if you got something to say, if you got an opinion, if you got an opinion about what happens with, you know, with the book of lies, let us know. I just want to say everything that she said. I, yeah. Yep. Me too. And Jack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Isabella gets so mad at her siblings for <laughs> saying they and jacked my car, Dad. But <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate each and every one of y'all, seriously, wholeheartedly, and um, couldn't do this without y'all. So thank you again. Thank you all, uh, Fat Man Wild. Spin the beats. This single simulcast. We out. Peace. Later.
just a blizzard that I can't have money in my pocket and people not talk about me. This world is a trick. I don't know what's going on these days. Got this person over here talking about me, this person. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. This is my prerogative. I can do what I want to do. I made this money, you didn't. Right, Ted? We out of here. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine.